despite lupus robbing us of a big piece of our health, we still have control. And to know that I have control in the things that I do every single day make an impact on my overall health and how lupus shows up is really impactful. I'm Greg Rennie. And I'm Rob Reeford. And this is Mind Body Matters. Welcome back to our podcast where we chat about our mind, our physical self, and spiritual self. Today we're going to talk about uh, primarily our physical self and uh, one of the illnesses in a, in a row of episodes coming up about our physical health. Today we're going to talk about lupus. But before we talk about lupus, I'd like to introduce you to my good friend and producer, Rob Reeford. Could you have a better intro than that? <laughs> I'm here and uh, I'm I'm looking forward uh, to this interview because um, a lot of people don't know all about lupus. No, I sure but, didn't. Uh, no. Our guest today, Amanda Shea, uh, she's written a book and you you loved reading the book. It was a really interesting book. I mean, it's geared towards mm-hmm. a female audience, which we do have. I mean, we have a fair amount of women listening to the show. And mm-hmm. at first I thought, okay, here's a book called The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus. And I'm thinking, okay, how, how am I going to read this? I don't know why I thought that way. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? Well, you did. It didn't matter. You know, it really didn't matter. Yeah. The content was geared towards women that have lupus because there's a high percentage of the people that are diagnosed with lupus. Actually, nine out of 10 people that are diagnosed with lupus are, are women. However, uh, guys get it yes. too. Yes, you do. I'll give you a good example. Oh, yeah? Seal. Oh, the singer. A lot of people didn't realize this. I actually heard way back when that he was in a fire explaining the, the scars. Oh, yeah, his scars on his, on, his a, on, his, on his cheeks. Yeah. If you want to know the truth, and uh, Seal's talked about this, if you look at the scarring in his mm-hmm. face, that's something that happened to Seal because of lupus. Oh, okay. And you, you have a yeah. tie-in with Seal of some kind. You kind of know him. I met him many years ago. I actually met him at the uh, at the forum in Montreal. Oh, yeah. um, first show I ever. I, I've been a a Seal fan for years, and I finally got to uh, to meet him in Montreal years ago. And uh, I just I I love the man's music. I love his heart. I didn't realize that you know you you had that connection with Seal, and uh, we certainly can can talk more about that. Let's get into the interview. Uh, Let me tell you about Amanda Shea. So the book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, How to Control a Shitty Diagnosis. There's that word again. There's that word again. We talked about that because we're (laughs) former radio guys and we never never could say shit. Now we can say shit and we can say shit legitimately because it's in the title of her book. Exactly. And we just really don't give a shit. So <laughs> we give a shit about her book and we give a shit about the guest, Amanda, yeah. Amanda Shea, but we really don't give a shit what our language is like. Exactly. So Amanda has a master's degree in counseling and she's an owner of a stress reduction and mindfulness company. And she was diagnosed originally with Sjogren's disorder in 2013. Oh. And that led to her diagnosis of lupus. But that was eight years later. So she didn't even know she had lupus until eight years later. Apparently, it's very, very hard to diagnose. She's got this enormous passion for helping women with lupus because one in 2,000 people in the U.S. have lupus and nine out of 10, as I mentioned, are female. female. 
Amanda Shea is on our show today to talk about her book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus. The weather in, in Raleigh is pretty good. It's almost hot. It's almost hot. Is that typical for this time of year or does it start getting really cold? I think it's called global warming. Um, yeah, could be. <laughs> but I, I think it's usually a little bit cooler, but on Tuesday, to make you feel better, it's going to be 54. Oh, that does make me feel better. Yep. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A little bit more pain for us. <laughs> yeah. The fun of living in Canada. It's kind of a cold and rainy day today. Mm. Really appreciate you coming in. My pleasure. I, I am so grateful to be here to share some of my views with you. The book is interesting. I read it and it gave me an understanding about lupus that I didn't have before. And I think to be honest, and it's kind of embarrassing reading the book. I realized I didn't know very much about lupus at all. Is that pretty common with people? That's okay. Yes. Yes. Don't you feel a bit bad? Even my husband who was reading it, I think learned like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, just to give a little background to your readers. Yeah, please do. Or listeners, readers, it's a habit. Uh, listeners. So lupus is a chronic, meaning it lasts forever, but a long-lasting incurable autoimmune disease where the immune system goes haywire, attacks healthy cells and tissues and organs. But what kind of makes it hard and for a lot of people to maybe not know much about lupus is it shows up uniquely for each person. Like our fingerprint, right, is unique to us. So is lupus. So when you say, hey, here's this autoimmune disease, like for some people, maybe they just get this stereotypical, like a most common butterfly rash. But for some people, they may be sick in the hospital with kidney issues, needing a new kidney, liver problems, chest problems. There's even death that occurs. And so when it's such a vague thing, I think it's hard for the media and it's hard for most of us to wrap our brain around something so vague, right? Referring to the name of your book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, do guys get lupus? Yes, yes. Men do get lupus. So the most common type of lupus I have is called SLE. So it's the most common. It's also the most damaging. 90% of the 1.5 million Americans who have lupus, 90% are women. But the remaining 10% are men. Men get it. Not only do they have it more severe, you know, it can be more damaging as well. It's just way more common with women, as is a lot of autoimmune diseases. 90%. 90%. That's very high. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can see where the focus was for our our female audience. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I, I got a lot out of it. I, I understood it um, a lot more than I did going in. So let's talk about your book. How does this illness, your experience with this illness, and all your daughter has it as well, how does that tie in with the focus of our podcast being mind, body, and spirit and the connecting, the connecting of the two? Because there is a physical element to lupus, but also there's uh, depression, anxiety, you use mindfulness. How do you see these things connected? Mm, that's a good question that surprisingly hasn't been asked before. I think they're all interconnected, right? Yeah, yeah, too often yeah. in society, like, oh, you have a mental illness. Oh, you have broken your arm. Those are two different things. But we know for anyone who does suffer from any physical and or mental, these are these are one. These are the beings. We can't, we can't do one without doing the other. So I think the same thing applies here for lupus. If I would just give people advice on like, physically, let's exercise and let's eat this and that. Mm -hmm. We are missing out on a huge portion 
of these things that make up the the reality of living with lupus, the mental challenges behind it, the the sucky neuropsychiatric lupus that sometimes comes on, the depression, the anxiety, like they, you, they can't be separated. I just think of them all in one. And maybe that's just my background that I've gone through. Um, I have a unused master's in counseling. When I was driving, I remember very clearly, I was almost done with my master's and I was driving a woman. I picked her up uh, from this kind of like a nursing home and I was driving her to a job interview. I remember her turning to me and saying, I just feel like I want to kill someone. And I'm like, oh, this is not enough for my $12 an hour job. And so I quickly got out of that field. Um, but the the roots remain within me that, you know, just like I say, we're more than our lupus, we're more than the physical ailments, we're more than the mental, we just are all of these, this, you know, mind, body, spirit is is one. We can't spot treat anything. Absolutely. It's always an interesting discussion when I bring a guest on. It's the first question I ask. And especially in healthcare, it's separated. So you probably saw oh, yeah. that when you when you work briefly in social work that someone that has a mental health issue would go over here and someone that has a physical issue would go over to see the physician, but the physician and the mental health professional don't communicate. Nothing goes back and forth. So it, it's it kind of forced us to look at things separate, but it's not. And I, I think mm. the word holistic is used a lot. Mind, body, and spirit, I like. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you probably relate to that because you do mindfulness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny when you go to my rheumatologist and I see her and she deals with a lot of the physical things. And maybe she sometimes refers on to neurology if we're having some of the mental things um, or some neuropathy. But often there is not an inclusive of, hey, let's have a counselor, let's have a social worker or let's have a nutritionist. Like, let's pull all these things together to really get a holistic practice. Now, we know there's many reasons like, you know insurance, <laughs> reimbursement and things like that. But when I've talked to my rheumatologist of like a, a dream rheumatology practice, it would be something that encompasses all of these things and how they affect people with lupus in one. I love your humor in the book and it's evident in your mission statement. I wonder if you know which, which statement I'm going to read here, but I'll read it for the audience. It became my mission to take control of my health and become the fiercest, most badass advocate for lupus that I could be. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I love that. I believe that uh, you're all in being a, oh, yeah. a, a badass advocate. I mean, you, you've been on Capitol Hill. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. You know, I there's some things in my life that I am fierce on, right? I am like no bars. Taking, I'm just like watch out people. And one is my health. Um the other is my family. And certainly, as you mentioned, my oldest has lupus, her health as well. I'm like, back up, you know, I, I know or I've learned to demand what I need to demand when it comes to my health. Like I learned about what my rights are, not only nationally on a federal level, but patient rights on a state level, because those are different oh, in each state. Yeah. yeah, like we don't, we don't know these things. I'm like, what? I'm allowed to have someone in the hospital that's not a family member. I mean, of course, right. we think that makes sense, but I didn't know by law in North Carolina that is true. And you're able to convey these experiences to to your readers. Uh, I know in the book you said that you came up with the idea that the same knowledge and tools I had used to take care of my own autoimmune diseases could be combined with what I learned about lupus to help other women. Yeah. And uh, that seems to be the the focus of your book is to share your experience, but also I'm sure your obstacles and barriers that you've had along the way. 
Yeah, and you've probably seen that I, I try to be very vulnerable. I, I try not to sugarcoat the things that I go through. I show that I made a lot of errors because I wanted women to understand, like I'm not some dream person who just happened to get lupus, but I'm so healthy that I'm just fine and I'm flying through, right? You know, I'm in the thick of it. Um, I'm, I screw things up. Like we just have to allow ourselves the grace to make mistakes, learn, and then to begin to do better. But I think one of the most important things is that despite lupus robbing us of a big piece of our health, we still have control. And to know that I have control and the things that I do every single day make an impact on my overall health and how lupus shows up is really impactful. Like I don't, I have a great rheumatologist, but she's not the one in control of every single action I do. She may give me these medications, she may watch over me, but ultimately it's my responsibility and my choice. Brene Brown talks about vulnerability and the power of vulnerability, you know, to be transparent and uh, totally open. And I found that in your book. I think the first starting point for people um, in the audience that probably were like me at the beginning, let's talk about lupus, what it is and isn't. And I understand it's, it's an invisible disease. You wrote that in the book. What does that mean? Invisible. So invisible means that on the outside, people can look completely normal, right? You know, I, I often hear girlfriends like, oh, but you look so healthy. You look like you're doing okay. So for those people, it's hard to see that inside there's a storm or raging, right? It's like the iceberg. You see a little tip that looks just fine, but deep below there's something bad that can happen. And so we often give our compassion to the things that we can see. Uh -huh. Oh, you broke your arm. Oh, you've lost a leg. Oh, you're blind. Oh, oh. But, you know, the CDC said that 10% of the 61 million Americans, I'm sorry, my quotes are Canadian, but 61 million people, so roughly 6 million people have an invisible disease. So this physical or mental ailment that you can't see. And if you think about it, right, um, mental health illnesses are almost all Invisible. Absolutely. I mean, cancer is often invisible, right? Yeah. You know, thankfully, we've made progressions in cancer treatment where people yeah. sometimes don't lose their hair. But that means often when someone says, oh, you look good, that maybe perhaps I should be acting good or maybe I need to fake it, right? I put that in the book, like women be faking it. <laughs> sometimes you have to fake it because you people aren't going to give you their compassion. And people also don't sometimes want to hear people say, I feel like shit. Oh, can I say that word on here? Absolutely. What the hell? I mean, your your book is no bullshit. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I um, <laughs> When I was writing the book, one of my beta testers, and you can remove this if you don't want it here, one of my beta testers, so funny, she said I needed to remove 50 fucks, which is hilarious now. <laughs> not 49, not 49, no, no. but 50. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went back and I'm like, all right, I'll remove some. I'm going to keep some, but I'm going to remove some. <laughs> I like some words for emphasis. Yeah. No, I, I found it very, um, very easy to read. And, and uh, I, I mean, you can't say that a lupus book is fun, but your humor was fun. Thank you. Goal achieved. <laughs> what should we know about lupus? We talked about it, it, it being invisible, but how long have we known about lupus? And why is it that in the back of my mind, it was something years ago that we thought was questionable if someone had like how long mm. how long have we had research and information to to know about lupus as we do today 
Good question. Um, I can't remember the exact year, but I remember doing my research on it. I thought it went back to even as far as like the 1920s that people had figured out about the scientists had figured out about it, but a lot was unknown, right? Uh, even as early as the late 1950s, what they thought about lupus was much different. Women shouldn't get pregnant. People shouldn't exercise. And a lot of people continue to die from lupus. But thankfully, we continue to make progressions. Less people are dying of it, but there is still a large amount of unknowns when it comes to lupus. Again, we get to that point of it being such a chronic widespread disease that shows up uniquely for each person. And so they, they don't know a lot of the specifics behind it. Like in the moment, it's incurable. But they're hoping that if they find out that kind of that idea behind lupus, then they will have like a master key when it applies to other autoimmune diseases. Because, right, it's so wide. And if we find something, a net that goes wide, then perhaps on all these other autoimmune diseases like Sjogren's, maybe they have the key for that as well. So it's a, it's a hard time. Um, I've heard even the science say that they are decades behind on research, like in comparison to cancer. We know a lot more about cancer, but they still have a long ways to go, whether it be they just need to do more research behind it or they need more research participants as well. So it makes it hard. And I, I'm sure there's misdiagnosis uh, uh, too. Oh, maybe, yes. Maybe that has something to do with, like I said, it was in the back of my mind that it was it was questionable, meaning that... that that's a good thing. It's a good thing to... Uh, yeah. Well, no, no, it's a good thing you brought this up. Sorry. Oh, oh, I didn't okay, wanna, good. Oh, I didn't good. mean to interrupt you. <laughs> it's no, a good no, thing ahead. you brought this up. No, uh, it takes between five to seven years to get a lupus diagnosis. That's a very, very long time. Lots of reasons for that. One being that your disease progresses in stages. How I look right now might not be the same as it is a year from now. Different symptoms may show up. They may come and they go. It may overlap another disease that you have. Like, I, you know, for example, I have Sjogren's disease. So first, that was the first diagnosis, and they weren't sure about the second diagnosis, so they would research and research until they found an answer. Um, it also mimics many diseases. COVID, a flu, mm -hmm. a bacterial infection, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, right? Because it is so vague, and it's, it's so... Um, specific on many different levels. So just a hair loss alone. Oh, you could have low iron. You know, you could have alopecia. You can have all these other things. And so the American College of Rheumatology said that there are 11 criteria. And to have lupus, you need to have four of the 11 criteria. I see. Because it takes that long to diagnose and it mimics other illnesses, are people believed in, in the way that the people that do their research like you did that has a good understanding, maybe might part, be part of a support group and they're going, no, I know deep down that uh, this is not alopecia, this is lupus. And the doctors, do they feel that that person is not knowledgeable? Uh, yeah. You know, ha have you heard, have you heard of people where they have difficulty in being oh, yeah. believed? That, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. medical gaslighting is real. It's heavy, oh, certainly yeah. for women. The idea that, oh, you're, you're just you're being wimpy or you're just being emotional. This is fine. Um, I think what usually, in my opinion, is that people don't necessarily feel that they have lupus, but they feel something is wrong. 
I should not feel this bad. I'm in so much pain. I don't know what's going on. I feel scared. I don't know what to do. Someone please listen to me. Someone validate what I'm feeling. Help me because I'm not okay. That's what usually shows up. You mentioned in the book about uh, doctors being dismissive. So this is this is kind of ties in with with what you're saying about being dismissive. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I say when I talk about being the baddest, you know, advocate you can be. Is you're going to say the F word, I think, there. Oh, well, I, you never know. It comes out every now and then. I would just be, you know, I think I haven't always been like, you know, screw you. I'm going to go find someone else. But after some reflection, I would tell people, if you don't like what you hear from that rheumatologist, that doctor, that nurse, whatever it is, you have the right to get a second opinion and a third opinion. You have a right to write up a review that your doctor was totally sucky when you find a new physician out there so that you can better educate other or warn other people. Like we have lots of rights out there and settling isn't one that I'm often um, comfy with. I would rather get uncomfortable and push until I found out what is right and what I need at that moment. We'll get into resources later, but I imagine there's resources in the way of uh, support groups or online uh, information from other people who have lupus for them to say, yeah, you need it. You need to change your physician. Uh, you need to get a second opinion because uh, this is my experience. Sure. So uh, is, is there like, uh, is there, is it just in the United States that there's a support group or worldwide? There are, I can't speak as to the resources available in all countries, but I, I, here's the thing I would give some caution. Like in the U S I mean, we have this thing called Facebook. You may have heard of it. You maybe have it in your country, <laughs> Canada. And on uh, there's a, a group I'm on. Uh, it has a really crazy name, something like lupus, supporting lupus, people with chronic illnesses. And there's like 60,000 people on there, right? That allegedly have lupus. I, I don't want to use the words, you know, I don't want to make any speculation. And they will ask everything like, here's this thing of alcohol or Clorox, should I take it? Or here's this. They ask all these questions all the time. And there are some of the craziest suggestions, people giving advice, people being, you know, medical doctors. And so I'm really cautious. This book has taught me to be very cautious, a very wise consumer, a very critical consumer on what I absorb, what I listen to. So yes, in some manner, there are definitely there's support out there, right? There's groups, you can find your own people, you can get on Instagram and follow people. But also, uh, I would say be careful with what you consume. I personally am, am so grateful, one, that I have the daughter that has lupus. So when I'm feeling really shitty and I don't want to talk to anyone else, she's the one I can text or call and be like, feel terrible today. And she's like, I got you. I know. Um, but I've also learned to make some lupus friends. Like I think it was just past week where I had flaming, I don't know why, I had flaming red cheeks. Lupus was, you know, being a real bitch again. And I text one of my friends who has lupus and I'm like, look, and she's like, okay, you know, try this clobetazole. Do you have it? And I'm like, I got it. And that is invaluable. Like you don't have to explain to anyone, you know, when the people have lupus, just one lupus friend is lovely. You mentioned uh, with a book and I imagine if you're going to write a book, you do the research. So uh, listeners, I, I, I can tell I'm not a, a researcher, but I can tell that you did a lot of work before writing the book. So what you put in there isn't like those questions that are being asked in the, uh, on the Facebook page. This is based on things that, that you've gone in deep and researched. How long did it take uh, that stage before writing the book? Well, roughly I would 
research and write, research and write over and over. So that mm-hmm. part took like 16 months. But as, as you probably remember from the book, I have a, a base of health, maybe a, a little fanatical. I've grown up, I was the one like a 10 year old doing jazzercise, you know, where my mom would teach. Health things have always been my jam, right? I constantly have gone through all of these, like, how do I work out differently? How do I eat differently? Over and over, I have challenged my bodies in new ways. It's just kind of been my thing. So it was when I was diagnosed and I was feeling, you know, bad for myself. No other way. Like, I'm like, that sucks. I have done all these good things. I have done all the healthy things. What you guys have ate, you know, your Fritos. I have been, you know, chomping on the vegetables. Um, And that's when I really thought like, oh, perhaps I have all these habits already in my pocket. And perhaps this is something to share with people. Because the reality is I'm not touting some fancy program, some wonderful, amazing t-shirt, some eyeshadow that heals you. I'm touting things that people may greatly underestimate the power of like being in the moment and, and walking and seeing fresh air and drinking water, right? We underestimate how impactful these will be. And that is one of the biggest parts of how you maintain your health. Most definitely. The listeners are going to benefit from, from your story. And that gives credibility to the research, right? Is that, yeah, I've gone through it. I've experienced these things. Share a bit about the early days. Uh, Do I have an understanding that uh, there's a tie-in with pregnancy and lupus? Yes. Is that what happened yes. to you? I mean, there's nothing. Everything's not 100% guaranteed because I have no, no medical basis back then. But when I was pregnant with the older daughter who has lupus, I was extremely sick. Very, very sick. I was hospitalized seven times. I had multiple feeding tubes that they told you you couldn't throw up that would be flinging out of my body. And I had a really, really tough time. And at that point, it was just literally how do we keep you healthy enough. Or I remember we got to this point where a physician had told me after another stint and she's like, look, if we can't figure out how to make you stop vomiting like profusely, you cannot be pregnant anymore. So it got to a point that I needed to keep my health. And eventually the daughter was born. We ended up fine. But that's when everything kind of started, right? It started to roll downhill. Now we know what lupus to make it bring on is that there are gene variations over 400 gene variations. So in your body, you carry these variations. And for a lot of people, things end up just fine. They they don't come on like these illnesses or these disorders stay remote. But when you have an environmental trigger like pregnancy, uh, Anna had mono, uh, car accidents, uh, sometimes even a lot of sun exposure, then this variation comes out of the cells, kind of bursts through the entire body, and then you are the proud, unlucky winner of lupus. Your daughter was diagnosed with lupus, and you got a diagnosis when you're pregnant with Anna. So is there a tie-in there? Did she get uh, lupus because you had it? So I was not diagnosed until decades later. later. Oh, I was okay. diagnosed... Uh, yeah, just a few years ago. But I have had lupus for a very long time. It just wasn't scientifically confirmed. Yeah, it, it, that's, yeah, I, I'm a rarity. But part, remember, part of my struggle was I was already diagnosed with Sjogren's disease. Um, some weird test came up that said I had, I remember it, 100% I have neonatal lupus, which is one type of lupus that babies have. I wasn't a baby. So the doctors are like, you're not a baby. You don't have lupus. 
they disregarded it and let it go. And another decade went by before I was like, oh, you finally have lupus, right? But months later, I think only five months later, Anna looked exactly like me. Everything was just like me. And I took her to my rheumatologist. I'm like, you have to see her. And I get give lupus that easy and that hard all at one. Why is it difficult with Sjogren's? Because that's an autoimmune disease too. Is. Uh, why, is it, why is it difficult? Why were you diagnosed with that? And then later on you realized lupus. Why didn't they realize that it wasn't Sjogren's? Well, my doctor... My lovely rheumatologist at the time, when I would go in, she would say, how's your hair? Are you losing your hair? And I'd be like, no, my hair, no. And she would say, have you had any lung infections? And I'm like, no, why? Have you any chest pain, like really sharp chest pain? And I would repeatedly be like, no, like I would get a complex. No, no, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. And I would go home and like Google this, like, okay, we're hair loss, chest pain, lung. And I learned that she was secretly asking me questions pertaining to lupus. So mm-hmm. one day I called her out and I'm like, look, you keep asking me these questions. I'm really getting nervous here. What's going on? And she's like, well, maybe you have lupus. And I'm like, why don't you treat me for lupus? She's like, you do not want me to put that on your medical record unless you really have lupus. This will follow you for a lifetime. So remember that four out of 11 criteria, ah. she was looking to get just one more result. And one day there's a test called an ANA. It was positive. And she's like, that's it. You have, you're positive. I'm sending you to a lupus specialist. So when your specialist sends you to a specialist, you know you're in trouble. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that was the point where she's like, okay, something's wrong. Let's go get you help. But she was just waiting for one more thing. And looking back, I can see that uh, at times I've had eight of the 11 criteria. Uh, but she wanted that blood test to make sure it was positive for her. I think, you know, I, I, I don't fault her. I think that she did the very best that she could taking care of me at that time. And also, you know, quite honestly, at that time, I, uh, you couldn't, I was a big stubborn person. I wouldn't have taken the medicine anyway. I wasn't ready. And so when everything lined up, I became ready. Interesting in in going to a couple specific chapters in your book, there's a chapter that you must have had experience with this where other people, it was difficult for them to accept and understand. And there was an issue of blaming and boundaries and anger. I like to kind of touch on that. Um, blaming, what's what's that piece? Why is that important? I'm trying to remember exactly how I put it on blaming. Is it that I was talking about me blaming others for having or feeling a certain way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it is much easier for me to point at you and say, you fix what's going on, than to me to put it, point myself at me and say, I need to address the issues at hand. And I think that, you know, that's nature, human nature. We deal with it a lot of times. Uh, introspection means a, a much different route. And when it comes to boundaries, you know, pulling that all the way into boundaries, this book was a great refresher for me, uh, a deepening of my knowledge. Uh, and I thought I was like a boundary buster, right? Someone used to call me that in grad school you are a boundary buster. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, all right. You know, right. You know, let's put this on my resume. Um, but I learned that there are probably a lot more boundaries that I needed to have. And when I thought of my boundaries as like an invisible cloak that protects me from life and it all pertains to my health, right? These things that impact me, right? The person I don't want to talk to, that family member I try to avoid wow, if I begin to have boundaries with them, perhaps I will feel better, you know? And I've learned to be a, do a better job at not giving away my energy. 
some people aren't worth it. Some things aren't worth it. Absolutely. And that's yeah. came to a very sharp edge for me as well. In the work that I do, uh, there's a lot of discussion about boundaries and you shared your personal experience in there, but what takeaway did you want the uh, reader to have regarding boundaries? What do you hope for them that they understand and that they implement? I think that a lot of us want boundaries, are scared to give boundaries. They fear that this will mean the end of the relationship. This will mean screaming and yelling. And a lot of people don't like conflict. Yeah. This is both understandable and given, right? But I think that if we begin to understand that what we put up with is a direct impact on our health and the life that we live, that perhaps we will make choices that reflect what is best for us versus the path that is easier to go down. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, I know it's easier said than done oh, as yeah. you've read in the books. You know, I've had some experiences in the last few years that were really challenging. Um, but I will say that I, I am proud that I have put myself first. I am I'm proud of the things that have allowed me to take care of me because in the end, what feels terrible is when I do something that I know goes against what and who I am as a person. I allow someone to do something. I walk away being resentful. I walk away angry. You know, I sell myself out for something else, for someone else, for their comments. And that feels feels terrible. So the fact that I am learning to be like, awesome, that didn't impact me. Or I need to let that go and move on and, you know, really honor who I am as a person. Right. And these things sound like, you know, well, that sounds nice, but to certainly as a woman to not do that and then begin to do that is life changing. I'm sure that's your social worker coming out regarding boundaries is so important. And uh, yeah, people have misconceptions about boundaries, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Sure. There, there's fear. Because we think about, it's selfish. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. selfish. Oh, but you're just going to list everything that you want in life. But it's not about me trying to change you or make you do something. In fact, it's really about me doing what's best for me and that person choosing to honor it or not honor it, but me reinforcing it. Is there a process the person goes through when they get a diagnosis? Is it kind of, you know, uh, a grief and loss thing? Elizabeth Kubler-Ross mm. kind of thing? Because you mentioned anger. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, talk a oh, bit yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah, talk about, about I mean, the process. Say, yeah, I, I think it's um, like the loss of a, a loved one, right? It's a loss of how you envisioned yourself in your life. I'm grateful that I'm, you know, 48 years old and I was in my mid 40s when I was officially diagnosed. But imagine being 21 year old like my daughter and being like, I want to go run and I want to go party and drink and hang out with my friends. And Lupus is like, no, you don't. So it is a loss. It's a loss of uh, lots of different things in your life. And like all losses, they go through. You mentioned Kubler-Ross and mm -hmm. they're a, a stage that, you know, that involves anger, right? Like, like, why the hell me? You know, why not the neighbor over there? They're real jerk, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, lots of different, you, you bargain, like, okay, if I, I'll be gluten-free. I'm gonna go gluten-free and then I'll be okay, right? I, I, then I'll be okay. But the reality is it sticks around forever. And in, in the end, we hope to get to the phase of acceptance, but we must remember grief is never linear. Sometimes oh, it's like- I'm the, glad you said that. It's an Arby's curly fry. 
right? <laughs> it curls and curls and curls. And sometimes it goes back to the front and sometimes it goes to the end. And so if we know that it is not straightforward, we can be more accepting with ourselves when we're like, I'm angry again. This is furious. This sucks. I, I hate that I have this. That's okay. We all go through that. It's okay. But life is easier when you begin to accept. Here it is. It's going to stay. Like It's like an eye color. Like My eye color is never going to change. Uh, I have to just accept it and then work through it. So for the, the, the reader, you, you talk about how to respond to people's comments. And this kind of ties in with what I was saying before is that I, 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 I didn't know very much about lupus. So the awareness isn't really out there. Um, and you made an interesting comment that people say, oh, well, lupus, isn't that what Selena Gomez has? Right. Uh, How, how they love that. They love that response. (laughs) (laughs) How, how, how do you respond to that? How, how should your readers respond to that when people like just say really uneducated things? I think it depends on your boundaries, right? If this is your male woman, you just say, and you you don't like the male woman or you don't really are indifferent to the male woman. You're maybe you're like, yep. Yep, Selena Gomez, and you leave them go, right? Sometimes you decide you want to educate that person, and you tell them a little bit about it. And, you know, it's like you, you reveal a little. They get it, you move on. You, it's an autoimmune disease. Great, and you move on. Sometimes maybe it's your loved one where you really want them to understand. So you sit them down over some coffee, and you tell them what it looks like, what the future looks like, and how they can support you. But I don't think that someone has to tell anyone. I think it's up to them to reveal it. I do think because there is a a lack of awareness of lupus, the more that we can begin to tell people the story that we're going through and what lupus does, the better it will be for everyone to draw that awareness there. But I leave it to each individual because it does take energy and you do get frustrated. Like a, a story for you, I was at the gym recently and this acquaintance guy comes over and, you know, COVID, right? So a few years after COVID, and of course, this was time I was really sick. And he's like, whoa, you look different. And I'm like, and, you know, I know. I mean, like, I know I have less muscle. I, I've been really sick. And I'm like, and I, I've always worked out. And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, what happened to you? And then, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm holding my breath. I'm like, yeah, I've been sick. Well, why? What happened? And I'm like, so I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I have this thing called lupus. Oh, you're gonna get better from it. And I'm like, but then I'm like pissed off, you know, I'm at yeah. the gym he's interrupting me. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not that easy. And he's like, you just be strong. You know, you just hang in there. You know, you'll be fine. And then I'm like, I, then I'm like pissed off. I'm like, I will not be fine. It is not just something you just easily fix. And then he was like, whoa, you know, and walked away. So uh, for me, it was a good reminder. Uh, I shouldn't have bothered to tell him anything. You know, I just only got myself pissed off at him. And I don't think he learned anything. He just walked away. But a good example of things that I need to continue to have my boundaries and only give my energy to the people I think are worthy and able. But you sometimes don't know that until you do a little trial and error. I think people say that so that they feel more comfortable, right? They, they oh, become, amen. They, be, they become uncomfortable and they go, oh, okay, so I'm going to go say this. Well, sure. that's not really the well, right that's, Let's talk about this a little bit, Greg. Mm-hmm. Because I, um, I was just writing an article about this. It was all about, you know, toxic positivity. When someone tells you something, certainly lupus, you don't know anything about, they tell you they have cancer, they, they tell you they have dementia. We as a receiver want to help that person, right? It's certainly someone we love, right? We want to do something to help them feel better. But the reality is 
majority of the time, there's nothing that we can do. So instead, we get uncomfy, we feel helpless, and so we throw things out there because we think that's going to make them feel better. Just hang in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Have strong. you tried these these coffee enemas? Here's my chiropractor. Have you tried yoga? Right. We throw these things out at them as if we're experts at it because we want them to feel better. Yeah, just be positive. We want them to look at the bright side, and if they looked at the bright side, their outlook would be better, and we internally would not suffer as much. But here's the thing. When you tell someone, be positive, be happy, just think, you know, all these other platitudes that all suck, we cut off their experience. We are telling them that we think they are weak. They're right. not strong. They're not able. They can't solve this on their own. And so in the end, the people that you care about feel hurt and let down that if they're not strong enough for you, they can't really be who they are. So we sink into that invisible illness, disease. We fake it. We act like we're fine when we're really not. I agree with all of that. You said you wrote that in an article recently? Yeah, it hasn't been pubbed lately. But yeah, oh, I was, that's what just I was going to plug it for you, but it hasn't been out there yet. It's going to, I'm going to put it on Motherly, which is a really cool website where a bunch of moms are out there. Yeah, it was talking about what I learned from having a chronic disease. One of them was that, let's get rid of that toxic, you know, BS. Can we just say, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. How can I support you? Or, well, I love you no matter which way you are. I'm here for you. Or uh, whenever you're ready. I would love to hear what's going on with you. And one of my favorites is, it's very simple. No matter if you have someone who's going through a death or going through cancer, anything happened, like, how are you doing today? Because today is reflective of today. And Cheryl Sandberg, book, she talked about the experience of losing her husband. And so she's the one who taught me that, how are you doing today? It's really impactful. Small, simple thing that most of us don't think about. Don't run away from that person who has something going on. Don't avoid them. Send them a text if you want. Give them a call. It's okay. They would rather hear something from you. I mean, don't say something stupid, please. But they would rather hear something from you than not. I believe the readers are going to really benefit from the book. The section, and I'm, I was impressed that you spent a fair amount of time on this, and we were talking earlier about mind, body, spirit being one, mm. is that you did go into a lot of detail about therapy and counseling and that depression and anxiety is a piece of this. Can you talk a little bit more about how how that's connected with the body, uh, mm. how yes. it's important for the person to have good mental health so they have good physical health? Yeah, absolutely. If I remember my stats correctly, roughly. of American population has depression. 19% has anxiety. But in lupus, I believe, if I remember correctly, 19% has depression and 40% has anxiety. That's a very big jump. Now, does lupus cause or bring on depression and anxiety or vice versa? Of course, science says we don't know yet. Could you be depressed and anxious from having lupus? Hell yeah. Can they come the other way? Yes. I guess for me, it doesn't really matter, right? If one caused the other. Because the the reality is, yeah, you have it um, and ways to deal with it. I thought it was really interesting. Of course, you know, having a counseling degree, I 
of course, believe that therapy and counseling is essential. Talking to someone who is neutral about what you're going through that has the resources is so impactful. Uh, Also, the research shows that medicine is helpful, but not the whole picture. Like I I mentioned, a physician, a psychiatrist in there, Kieran Devaraj, he was the one who was reminding me, look, when you're facing a big wall, the big wall is depression. The medicine that I prescribe to my patients is just like me holding out my hands, allowing the patient to step in my hands and to get closer up over that wall. But I will not be flinging them over the wall. They have to use the rest of their resources in order to get over. So yes, taking a medication for anything, taking a medication for lupus or anxiety or depression is only part of the equation. We have to add on that other component of counseling. We have to add on self-awareness. We have to do these other parts of our health that are impactful. Like, hey, can you get outside and just see the sun and walk for a few minutes? That helps the mind as well. What should we know about nutrition when it comes to lupus? I was so happy to dig deep here because I was going to find out that one thing, right? If I just ate this way, I would put it all in a box and I would eat exactly like that. And it'd be so (laughs) easy for me because I would know what to eat. Um, I know we've heard this before, but science doesn't have any exacts on it yet. But the good thing is overall, you don't have to eat a certain way. No paleo, no gluten-free no, oh, okay. blah, blah, blah. I would assume that there was. Yeah, I know. Right. I was so happy to be like, oh, phew, no gluten free. And the way to eat is similar to someone who is trying to keep healthy or try to manage high blood pressure or cholesterol that you need a lot of fruits. You need vegetables. You need to eat less processed food, less trans fat. Uh, Sugar is a big one because it fuels inflammation and we have lots of chronic inflammation from our hair down to our little toe. And so that would be impactful as well. I mean, there's some research behind nuts. There is research behind legumes and uh, the good old friend of fiber. There's some good stuff behind fiber. I mean, how often do we think about fiber? We think of like fiber chews and things like that. But in fact, fiber is really important very impactful and we can find fiber in a lot of different things like beans and different types of you know raspberries have a lot of fiber but if we know that if we make these small changes in how we eat then we will feel better and when we feel better uh, our lupus is better as well why would we find benefit in mindfulness and breath work because i mean i i'm I'm big on mindfulness, so it's kind of a silly question, but I'm going to ask it, for, you know, on behalf of the listener, is that why would I benefit from mindfulness where that's just going to help, it's going to make me focus on that I have this, that I have lupus, mm. Mm. you know, yeah, or we know yeah. it's about the present moment, but sure. people's perception is, is that I don't want to meditate on this. Of course, right? Yeah. Who wants to, let me sit down and constantly feel like crap over and over. Sounds great. Let me do it for an hour every day. I get it. The idea of being in the present moment and the thousands of studies that are linked to it show that the benefits by far outweigh the simple uh, frustration or uncomfiness you sit while you sit there for a few minutes. Mindfulness is, it just means paying a present, paying attention to the present moment, right? And when your breath stays there, you focus on the breath. And when the mind wanders, you just come back to where you are. The benefits that are so great that 
we would need a whole podcast to cover them from lowering inflammation. The cells in your body actually live longer, which is amazing. You have a better ability to focus on the present moment over and over, reduces stress. These are all many, many things out there. And again, it's like one of those things, like your breath, it, it comes so easy, right? We don't think of it. How often each day do we think of it? We don't. And so the simple fact is by staying in the present moment a few times each day, we can make ourselves healthier. But we think we need to sit in lotus pose, close right. our eyes, om, chant and oh, right? <laughs> Levitate and do all the, and that's, oh, I'm, that's too much. That, that's hard. It's kind of like yoga. Oh, I tried that once. It's no good. I don't feel the impact. Uh, and I, I currently, I do not sit down every single day, close my eyes and do it. But every day I try to be mindful over and over and over again, whether I'm outside walking my dog, I try to put down my phone and just hear the leaves. Uh, when I drive in the car, I, I never have a radio on. I just try to follow the breath over and over. Someone swerves and almost hits me because they're a crazy driver and my heart speeds up. My, I have trained myself long enough that I've learned to slow down my breath. My breath is always there. I can only go, I mean, I don't even know if I can go a minute, allegedly a minute without air, but I can go days without food, hours without water. But my breath is so very important. We underestimate it. It happens every day. It's no big deal, but it is so impactful. The The credibility in the book shows and also your passion regarding lupus. You're an advocate and Tell me about being on Capitol Hill. And you, you spoke to members of Congress about lupus. Can you tell us more about that? It sounds pretty cool, I know, right? It's pretty cool, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just picturing you, you know, like you see on TV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break uh, a little bit of my uh, sparkle to it, <laughs> is that there are a lot of people go there and speak to Congress. At the same time, the Beef Council was there. <laughs> yeah, so you basically... Went to with Lupus Foundation of America. There was a conference. We learned about what we were going to talk about. We learned about three bills that were going to go in front of Congress and the Senate. And then we met with different representatives. So I met with North Carolina on a House of Representatives and a Senate. And I got to speak to them, one about lupus, one about how these bills impact not only the state's residents with lupus, but also uh uh, everyone else across the state and the country and why signing those bills or endorsing those bills would positively impact us. So, you know, I, I think that, as you mentioned in the book, I, I try to be very down to earth, right? I, I want you to mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying without using fancy terms and throwing things around. And so when you speak to someone on a congressional level, you have to be able to tailor that, you know, more business end on, hey, you represent our state's members. Here is what you're going through. You know, 50,000 people in the state of North Carolina have lupus. Here's what our needs are. Here's what the disease is. And to help us, this is one way you can do that. What other advocacy are you doing um, other than what you described here? Um, what else are, like, what does advocacy mean for, for lupus? Well, advocacy, really, a big part of it is let's get the word out there. Let's let people understand what lupus is and when they better understand then they can better draw awareness. They can better give funds and research towards finding a cure for this disease. Uh, on a, uh, a level, I'm on uh, North Carolina's, University of North Carolina. We have a shareholder council. 
So a bunch of people of us come together who have lupus. We listen to different proposals that may come up that are going towards lupus clinical research or lupus trials. And we give our feedback on that because usually a business or an organization may have an idea and they go ahead and throw it into a clinical trial. But now they have the ability to come in front of a group of people who actually are lupus patients and we can give our advice on how those things may or may not impact us. So that's a, a really fun avenue. I'm also on the Lupus Foundation of America, North Carolina. I'm on an external committee, which works uh, across the state to try to bring the awareness out there, both for businesses and corporate events, so they can understand lupus as well. Because let's be real, some of them have great funds that can really help us when it comes to finding cures, getting more research. And so if we can get them to understand that, perhaps that's something they might want to contribute to as well. And then just on a local level, you know, I, of course, I'm choosy. I'm a choosy chick on who I talk about lupus. But, you know, I, I use my platform. I would like to think of this book. I think that everyone that I've come to, I'm like, if you know someone who really needs this book, you just tell me, I'll get the book to them. Uh, writing a book does not make a lot of money, Greg. I know you might not know this, but I have learned. <laughs> I learned. I mean, I should have done some research, but I simply wrote the book. But I'm, I'm happy to, to get the book book out there. I'm happy to get the word out there, whatever we need to do for women to feel heard, to feel understood during this time of diagnosis. Other than uh, your book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, obviously that's what we're talking about. That's the resource. What other resources could uh, the listeners uh, look into to learn more and uh, to get some some uh, guidance? Sure. So the easy one is I own the website, amandache.com. I know you're surprised that that's available, but I bought it. I own it. So you can hear there's things about me that you can find the book, you can find those links, but also I have a YouTube channel that I'm actually having a, a lot of fun. I'm surprised people follow and they follow along and they give comments. So I talk about lupus on there. It's probably very similar to my book, but I just put the video component behind it because we all like to learn different ways. And then finally, I'm on Instagram at Amanda E. Che. So A-M-A-N-D-A-E-C-H-A-Y. And I'll put those in the uh, in the uh, notes for for the episode. Thank you. Let's talk about some quotes. I mean, we're going to end off with a quote that you gave me as your favorite quote, but also I'm going to quote you first. How's that? Yes. Wow. First, let's do it. So in the book, you said that you live a life that is not limited by lupus. And here's the interesting part, but alive with lupus. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean that your life is yours. And how you choose to define it and how you choose to live it is up to you. Yes, uh, you have lupus, but it is not you. It is just something you have. It's something, I'm a mom, I'm uh, an author, I'm a wife, I'm a yoga instructor. I am lots of other things in life, but they are not who I am. And that's the same thing with lupus. Lupus gets in line, hopefully way in back of things that affect me in this life, but it is my choice and it is my desire to move forward in the life that I want to live, not defined by lupus. Wow, you can apply that with many different things, not just lupus. That's Sure, but I think it's so easy, right? I felt at times that in the beginning, I was like defined by my lupus, you know, and that's why I keep saying it like I am not my lupus because it would be like... Um, <sighs> Like, don't you cut me off in traffic? Don't you know I'm driving to the doctor and I have lupus? And, you know, like everything was like, I felt my own personal, like, people, I have lupus. Like, be nice to me. Be kind to me. And then I learned, like, that sucks. I didn't really want to define myself by that. I wanted to just be me. 
And I understand as a woman and like I told you, a mom and a wife that I have thought of myself, you're like, what do you do? Like Americans love to say this, like, hi, how are you? What do you do? Like we define people by their work. And that's right. such bullshit, you know? We do that that's just bullshit what we do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no fun. You know, I want to be like, hi, and what do you love doing? You know, that's the really important thing to me. And so that's what I try people, you know, encourage women to think of as lupus as well. Like, you weren't that lupus. That lupus sucks. You're not that. You're much more and you can still be whatever the hell you want to be. You just need to plan it out and maybe find some creative ways to do it. That applies to people with mental illness, too. Very often people mm. say that uh, that person's bipolar or that person's borderline. Mm -hmm. uh, terrible thing to say, because that just, you know, encourages people to look at identifying themselves with their with their mental illness. They have bipolar. Uh, yes. They struggle with yes. bipolar, yes. but they aren't bipolar. Wrapping up to let the listeners know where you can uh, where they can find the book. So the book is The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus by Amanda Shea, and that's spelled C-H-A-Y. I got that right? You got it. Okay. <laughs> where can they find uh, the book? The, or the best way to find the book, because I'm sure they can go on Amazon, but there might be a better way of, well, of them finding Amazon's, it. Amazon's, you know, Amazon's a beast in the best way. Go ahead on Amazon. You can pick it up in paperback, which I love to read, or you can pick it up on ebook. Excellent. As I mentioned, we're going to uh, end off with a quote. Mm -hmm. Love that your quote is from Buddha. And here's the quote. Like to know why that's important to you and what it means to you. So in the end, what matters most is how well have we loved? How well have we lived? How well have we learned to let go? It's everything, right? I saw this quote when I was going through my yoga training. I remember when it was. I took a picture of it. It's how I end my yoga class every single time. Oh, really? um, and it is, to me, it, it greatly cuts down. It's a pineapple cut down to the very small piece. It's what's most important. Have you enjoyed the life you've created? Have you let go of those grievances and those hard things and those things that you have pulled onto your back, the chains around your neck that you have given? And have you just lived as deeply as you could? That sums it up uh, to life. You know, it allows me to get perspective. I appreciate that. I'm going to use that quote myself. Please take it. It's not mine. <laughs> Your book is, um, is very accessible, the way you wrote it. So kudos. And also, you know, in the uh, interview here, I'm very grateful for you coming on the show. And I liked your sense of humor. I liked the accessibility uh, uh, that you, you're sharing with your personality. You know, you're, you're easily approachable. Oh, thank you. That's a compliment. I appreciate your candor and uh, especially your humor. Swearing on my show. Oh, I love it. Freaking love <laughs> it. <laughs> well, you know, it's important that you interview me and you allow me to be me. Very important. So kudos for you for allowing uh, that avenue and, and giving a, such a comfortable space. Thank you. Once again, thanks for being in the studio today. Thank you, Greg. Take care. Well, Rob, Amanda is fierce and she's funny. Oh, and I laughed when the when when she had the first copy of the book before it was published. <laughs> and she talked about what was the line uh, about the F's? She she was forced to or asked to take out a number of fucks out of her book. 
<laughs> but it still, it still, it still what, has a, a few fucks in in the book. It was fifty, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. I think mistaken. they wanted her to take out a, you know, a, a certain, yeah, it wasn't forty nine. It was. I think 50. so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, but anyway, I, I, I love her attitude. Um, and she's, there's that thing about mindfulness coming up. I know it's a thread through a lot of this stuff. Sure. It really is. But, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed the interview. It's so cool that, you know, she went to Washington. She went to cap to the Capitol to, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, talk to people endorsing bills that would benefit North Carolina and the people in that state that have lupus. I like how she talked about life is like a curly fry. A curly fry at Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a plug for Arby's. We should be getting money for that if you're going to mention it. And we, we could. Yeah, we could. Let's hit, let's hit up Arby's. We're talking about your French fries, for goodness so sake. So life isn't necessarily a box of chocolates, right? It, it, no. It's not a linear you never know thing. what you're going to get. It's curly, like a curly fry. I love it. I love it. Yeah. The sad thing is with this, Rob, is that it, it, this is a disease that um, you and I could have. Because it's dormant in our body and we don't know until it expresses itself and comes out as a rash or something with us. But that's kind of spooky, isn't it? That a lot of us may have it, but don't know it. What I found uh, fascinating, too, she didn't uh, get diagnosed with lupus until later in life, whereas her daughter Mm -hmm. was diagnosed early on in, in, in life. And the process of diagnosing lupus, uh, as uh, Amanda said, it goes, it, it can go on for a long time. So, like, don't expect to go, if you want to find out if you got lupus, don't expect an answer within a week from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it will take a, a while uh, to be properly diagnosed. Yeah, and, and apparently it's uh, diagnosed through a blood test. I also heard uh, someone told me that the, um, uh, the doctor was suspicious about lupus because there was a rash on her face. So what they did was mm-hmm. they um, took a biopsy and, and it wasn't, oh, okay. but they, uh, they look for, for, for rashes, not, not, you know, for everyone to get paranoid about rashes, but just to kind of bring a little more light to the topic of uh, a number of physical illnesses today was about lupus in the next couple of weeks. As you know, Rob, we're going to talk about uh, uh, cancer. We're going to talk about Lyme disease. We're going to talk about Alzheimer's. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we want to, uh, you know, uh, provide uh, not just episodes about mental health, but physical, our physical health, but because we are yeah. mind body matters. And yeah, we'll explore the mind body connection. Absolutely. Uh, we ask that question of, of all the guests. Next week, we have an episode of Keep Talking. And I'd like to know more about Seal. You, you said that, you know, mm-hmm. there were some interviews you had with him or. Uh, I, I've done interviews. I've actually uh, met him on a couple of occasions uh, at concerts and uh, at uh, actually three times I've I, I've met him once at a radio station and uh, twice in concert. So we'll talk more about Seal and next week we'll talk about music. So next week really may not be a show about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> there is that Seinfeld rep- uh, reference. again. Yes. yes. Uh, and listeners. Please download our episodes on Apple Podcasts, yes. Spotify, iHeartRadio, or even Pandora. Give us a review. And if you like our show, give us five stars and email us with your comments and ideas about the different topics that uh, you'd like to hear here on Mind Body Matters. Amen. 
(laughs) (laughs) Mind Body Matters is a great media podcast, and we'll be back next week with an episode of Keep Talking. Meanwhile, be kind to yourself. And most importantly, be well. Thanks for listening. And if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about, drop us a line at mb-matters.com. Be sure to like and follow us on all our socials. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe or follow and share with your friends.